Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you're not up on the story of a photographer getting a picture of Joe Biden's notes yesterday at his press conference using finger quotes and italics, we'll do that for you next segment. It should be a much bigger story. Mark Halpern's writing about it today. And how the media really should be covering this, but they're not. In fact, there's a couple of great stories that the entire media should be covering, but they're not. We'll get to those coming up. So Xi Jinping and uh, Ukraine's President uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, spoke on the phone yesterday. It's the first time, and Zelensky has been hammering that he wants to talk to him since the war began 14, was it 14 months ago? Roughly? Roughly. Um, Yeah, he said they had a long and meaningful phone call. The state uh, Chinese state news media version of the uh, story is A, probably garbage, and B, very, very vague. But the summary that was put out um, made no mention of Russia and did not use the word war. Mr. Xi reiterated points Beijing has made in the past. Uh, We want uh, peace and mutual, but they also said, we want mutual respect for sovereignty and territorial integrity, and that's the political basis of the China-Ukrainian relationship, which really sounds like she is making sympathetic noises toward a country that just got invaded and had its territorial uh, integrity, uh, you know, battered to death, literally. 
Zelensky said the call would help give powerful impetus to the development of our bilateral relations. And China's going to spend uh, send a special representative of the Chinese government on Eurasian affairs to visit Ukraine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and they're touting their ability to get peace talks going. God, I'd love so to know thought, what, uh-huh. what, what, if, uh, to what extent this is real at all. Does China just want to look like, you know, they brokered that Middle East peace deal. They just they want to look like the new United States. They want to look like they're the ones that bring conflicts to an end, like it has been us for the past 75 years. If there's a conflict anywhere in the world, the United States swoops in and, and tries to broker the ceasefire and bring the sides together. Does China just want to be that? Or, are they, or look like they're being that? Or are they serious about it? Well, that's that's the thing about dealing with China. Uh, I was going to say, when I got to the point I just stopped in reading about this, I thought, well, this is interesting. The The Ukraine war is not really doing China any good. Russia has become something like a client state and a bit of an embarrassment. I wonder if uh, she is going to push Russia to end this thing and, and try to actually come up with a plan that both sides can accept, because China's really the only country that has any uh, leverage over Russia. But it was like point. two weeks ago. When she and Putin were meeting there and they were caught on mic with she saying to Putin, we're changing the world. History is changing and we're the ones that are changing it. And they really sounded like they were, you know, buddies taking on the global order. Did he change his mind? I mean, I don't understand what's going on. Well, at the risk of sounding like we're running a cheesecake magazine over here, Jack, that was an excellent but. I have a really good but I'd like to offer, and that is... The Chinese ambassador to France caused a diplomatic firestorm in Europe after he questioned the sovereignty of post-Soviet nations like Ukraine and all the other, you know, former Soviet Union slave states saying, you know, they're not necessarily independent countries. Russia has a legitimate claim. Mm. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he was saying. And, of course, Europe went crazy over this. It hasn't gotten much coverage at all in the United States. But So you simultaneously have Xi saying, hey, territorial integrity is important to us, and his ambassador to France saying, yeah, the Soviet Union probably deserves to get all those countries back. So, you know, don't trust China. And then the other story on Ukraine, which you've already mentioned, uh, the headline today, Pentagon rushes Ukraine tanks after claiming the U.S. didn't have enough. And we couldn't get them there in time, in the training and whatnot. Nope, we're going to get them there, like, immediately. And Germany, having said the same things about their tanks, are sending them today. So I don't know what's going on there either. If all of a sudden we decided you better do your counteroffensive now, or it looks like they're losing, or what? Big announcement out of Germany that we've given them plenty of bullets. We're making sure that they, that Ukraine is supplied on everything they need. So I think the big counteroffensive is coming, and we will see. Yeah, when when you say they're sending them today, I mean, like uh, ground shipping, or did they pay for the uh, the faster shipping same day, next day, overnight them? How soon are they going to be on the battlefield? I wonder. Uh, the 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 German tanks, I think, like today, they're getting okay. there. They're like today, and for us, just days. According to the New York Post story, so which well, is a clearly, major change from it was going to be two years, then the fall. Now it's this week. Well, unless I've really missed my guess, I would assume that they've been training up the crews behind the scenes uh, right. in the States, in Germany. So it, it could be on the battlefield today. Wow. But remember, we had that story about the Patriot missile batteries where they can shoot down the Russian missiles. It would take so long to train them. And then they brought them out to Oklahoma to train on them and it 
took like three days. And said, eh, they learned a lot faster than we thought. So here you go. I, I just don't, I don't know what's going on there. I just, I think we're hiding pitches from the Russians. That's we, fine. the West. I don't yeah. need to be, you know, do whatever's going to win. Oh, there's the president of South Korea singing uh, American Pie. We got to get that audio clip. It's pretty funny. Maybe we'll get that when we come back. And it was at the press conference around the state dinner that the president had a card with the reporter's name, picture, and question on it. What is that all about? If you haven't heard that story, that's coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. 
Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And now I knew if I had my chains, that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. February made me shiver. Wow, he's going to do the whole song. It's a long song. We, we get it. You, you can sing American Pie. <laughs> and beautifully, Mr. President. Yeah, so uh, that's the president of South Korea talking about how he liked American pop culture as a kid, and he's there at the White House. This is a state dinner, right? This is the white tie, and you eat truffles and oysters and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and uh, decides that you see, but if you're doing that bit, I, I like American pop culture. Look, look, my favorite song as a kid, a long, long time ago, and everybody cheers. I used to remember they cheer, and I knew you just kind of wave and sit down. You don't go into like the third verse. <laughs> that's that's plenty. Did you write the book of love? And oh Lord, he's gonna do the next Elter, verse. Skelter, no, we're <laughs> six minutes in. Ah, uh, sir, will it affect uh, the relationship between the nations if we ask him to stop? <laughs> um. So, th- but this is the biggest thing that came out of the whole deal. Joe Biden decided to take questions. He's been getting knocked a little bit, quite a bit, throughout his presidency, but especially this week because he announced he's running for president. Uh, two-thirds of Americans don't want him to run. The number one reason is his age. They cite press conferences and all this different sort of stuff. So he decided to take some questions yesterday. Well, this is how it went. Listen, we always know now that this president has a list of who he's going to call on and, and maybe the order. But today it seemed like he had a heads up on what the question would be. That's right. Uh, A photographer in the White House press corps got a picture of the president's placard in his hand. The name, outlet and question from that L.A. Times reporter, which reads, how are you squaring your domestic priorities like reshoring semiconductors manufacturing with alliance based foreign policy? She was only one of two uh, American reporters who were formally called on today. We should note the question that she actually spoke and asked the president was quite a bit more elaborate, but Biden certainly got a heads up on the topic and the general thrust of her question. And Brett Baer, who was a White House reporter at one point, said it's unheard of to, uh, it's it's not unheard of to have the names of the reporters or have an idea who you're going to call on, for instance, but to have the name, the picture, and the question they're going to ask in your hand is completely unheard of. 
And that was caught in a picture. And Mark Halpern writing today, unless you read the New York Post or follow Red Twitter, you don't know about this story. This is a massive story about the White House and about journalism. And yet it is being ignored by all the dominant media organs who don't seem to have pressed either the administration or the L.A. Times, which is the the outlet involved, about what happened. The way they would have the way that they would have uh, the way this would have happened with a Republican president. Would this would be covered absolutely everywhere? I mean, this would have been the number one story of the day. Instead, crickets. That is something. It's, hey, L.A. Times, way to ask government-approved questions. That's our free press. Aren't you liberals? L- liberals, are you speaking truth to power? It, it, could you get no, further? No, no, no. That's hey, okay, boomer. Uh, no way. That's a boomer liberalism progressivism is seizing power and holding it. Yeah, that is really, really something. Uh, to, to me, the biggest part, well, I guess the both sides are pretty big. The fact that the president is so handled, they're so worried about his ability to have his brain work when the moment comes that they have to have the picture, the name, and the question ready to go. Uh, but I'm more troubled by a compliant media that's willing to go along with it. Doesn't say, no, we're not going to tell you the questions ahead of time. What would that right. be? Right. Well, it's government-run media. It's state media. You'll ask only the questions we approve in advance. Okay, says the LA Times. And everybody was there, apparently, hoping to to get their quote-unquote question asked. Um, and it's, you know, a fairly interesting question. At least she didn't say, uh, Generalissimo, what do you think your greatest accomplishments include? Thank you, sir. Thank you. I mean, it wasn't that funny, but it's it's troubling enough as it is. Um, I, you know, it, it's it's clear to me that the Democratic Party is aware that Joe Biden will be merely a figurehead and a, a, a severely reduced human being because of his age and infirmity and that sort of thing. But uh, they don't know who else to run. They think Biden... Uh, you know, Biden is almost a cardboard cutout of himself at this point. I mean, sure, he can still, you know, read the written responses to the approved questions, but that appears to be the extent of his abilities. So, yeah, he'll soon be essentially a cardboard cutout with a voice box, like it's at some grand opening of a fried chicken place or something like that, and you hear the colonel's voice coming from the cutout saying, come on in, enjoy the chicken. But that's the presidency that we're going to have. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, as we've pointed out many times, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe having the president completely face plant on national television because he can't hear the question or understand it or answers the wrong question like he's done many times, he answers a different question, is not good for national security. So I, as a patriot, should uh, want him handled like this until we figure out who's going to be president. Yeah, yeah, I just, that's taking a hell of a risk with national security. Uh, And one more thing, since Mark Halpern in his newsletter is bashing the dominant media for not covering a number of stories. Did you know, he writes, that a Fox News poll shows that Bobby Kennedy is closing in on a fifth of the vote against President Biden. Yeah, the Fox News poll yesterday had Robert Kennedy Jr. at 19%, so call it 20%, a fifth against the sitting president. That's a pretty high Uh number. Of course you don't, says Mark Halpern, because it isn't being covered. Even though Fox's polling is very well respected and often cited by dominant media, the result would seem quite interesting coming right after 
Mr. Biden announced for re-election and yet more crickets. I don't know at what number you probably should debate your opponent as a sitting president, but I got to feel it's short of 20. 20 seems like a pretty significant number to me. Yeah, that's absolutely a, uh, a, a, a dangerous rumbling in the distance for Biden. Uh, I don't know to what extent Kennedy can grow that number. Um, I haven't really caught his act. He's had said some really wacky stuff about vaccines in the past. That's been his main thrust for the last several years. Is that what most of his uh, 20% is? People that also hated the vaccine and thought it was dangerous? Yeah, that. I wonder whether that 20% is the 20% progressive uh, wackadoo Marin County, California types uh, with their yoga pants and their Mercedes Benz and their, their odd beliefs, and it won't grow from there. But I don't know that to be true. Like I say, I'm not really familiar with his act. Uh, but that's definitely a significant story. It's a huge story. But again, as I said uh, last hour, the media is a damn near full speed back in there. We will do anything, say anything, and ignore anything to keep Trump out of the White House mode. And while we're looking oh, speaking at of presidents, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, speaking of presidents, uh, I have not heard this yet. I am gleeful at the fact that it exists at all. I'm not sure how good it is. Uh, clip 18, Hanson. For us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment in time in which we exist in our present. So that's, oh, that's Ronald Reagan reading a portion of the hilarious Kamala Harris clip we played yesterday. For us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, right. to see the moment in time. in time in which we exist in our present. For us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment in time in which we exist in our present. That's pretty good. That's AI, Ronald Reagan doing Kamala's word salad. That that's we asked, amazing. That we asked for like 20 minutes ago. Uh, that's yeah. that's that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be doable that easily. Do Winston Churchill next. Do Churchill. <laughs> wow, that that makes it an AI story more than a political story. But uh, wow, that was quite entertaining. If a if <laughs> if an I assume amateur who listens to us can throw that together that fast. If it really was important and you're like trying to overthrow a government or something like that in Central America and like hired professionals, I mean, how good could it get if you really put time and effort into it? Oh, I was just reading a really interesting piece of journalism about Russian propaganda in Africa, how Putin is using uh, RT and the .ru websites and, and spending a hell of a lot of money to influence opinion in Africa. And some of the propaganda that's being believed is just unbelievable. You get you know people without much education or sophistication, media sophistication, you can get them to believe anything. That's not even utilizing the tools of AI, which are so astounding. So, yeah, you're right. Have the General Lissimo or the president of your country, you know, saying, then we're going to round up all the babies and kill them. And, and you would have mayhem in the streets. That's going to happen in our lifetime. It'll be interesting to watch. There will be. Hell, it'll happen this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some other stories we need to cover. Randy Weingarten, who kept your kid out of school, claiming she had nothing to do with it. We need to get that whole debt ceiling debate thing that happened yesterday. I guess you have a trans update. Uh, yeah, big new study about the outcomes of gender-affirming care for adolescents. Really important. Yeah, I want to hear that. If you miss an hour of this show, we do four every single day. You can grab it in podcast form. Just look for Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't care about trans kids' lives, it means you don't care about freaking kids' lives. Woo! The crowd cheered on Saturday Night Live. There is a scientific paper, magazine, what do you call this, uh, the publication, called Current Sexual Health Reports. And they have published a study with the title, Current Concerns About Gender-Affirming Therapy in Adolescence. And it is the most important thing written about this subject for a very long time. It ought to be on the front page of every major news organization in America. It is stunning. Partly to get this right, um, I'm going to read some of it to you as opposed to characterizing it in my own words. Uh, And coming up in just a couple of minutes, literally, um, one of the things the study attacks are, well, studies 
are what they call the 10 key unproven or disproven assumptions underlying the practice of youth transitions. It takes apart, step by step, the idea of permanent solutions for children, for adolescents. So, just a a quick bit of reading, then we'll get to that. A new article in Springer's Current Sexual Health Reports, Current Concerns About Gender-Affirming Therapy in Adolescence, provides an up-to-date overview of the current state of evidence about the practice of gender transition in the Western world and discusses the international debates surrounding this controversial practice. I should tell you that the subhead of the, uh, the study is, the field of gender medicine must stop relying on social justice arguments and return to the time-honored principles of evidence-based medicine. Can you imagine a branch of medicine that's abandoned evidence-based data and just gone with social justice arguments? I know we've said this many times, but this era is going to be looked back on and people are going to be like, how did that happen? What was wrong with you people? How did you allow that? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, the authors identified the key area of concern. It is unknown how gender transitioned young patients fare in the long term. Systematic reviews of evidence of youth gender transition are naturally limited by short follow-up times as the practice only began at scale after 2015. It's worth pausing for a moment and contemplating that. This stuff is brand new. Came out of nowhere. No evidence-based studies or anything like that. Oh, you've heard certain statistics? Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. So it's been around for a couple. It's been around for just a couple of years, and we were almost immediately into the. If you question it at all, you're some sort of hateful person who should be driven from their job. Yeah, literally, if you question it. But that's how it is with some religions and cults. If you dare say I don't understand this, you will be screeched at. Anyway. Uh, so since it's newish, for this reason, it is informative to look at long-term adult outcome data. Unfortunately, the long-term studies of adult transitioners have repeatedly failed to show lasting psychological improvements. And studies with the longest follow-up suggest, quote, the possibility of treatment-associated harms. In fact, the disappointing long-term outcomes of adult transitioners were used to justify transitioning minors. The argument being that, well, earlier intervention would lead to improved outcomes. Gotcha. So uh, adults are transitioning and finding themselves oftentimes miserable or suicidal. The problem is not that transitioning is in any way the root of it. It's just you didn't do it early enough. Right. Let's try it on kids. Exactly. However, every qualitative systematic review of youth gender transition to date has failed to find credible benefits, even in the short term, issuing conclusions about the risk benefit ratio that range from highly uncertain to unfavorable. The authors observe, and I quote, there has never been a dispute about whether medical and surgical interventions can feminize or masculinize secondary and some primary sex characteristics for. You know what? I got to stop right here. It's so weird and refreshing to hear this topic discussed as a medical matter and a matter which can be studied as opposed to comedians on Saturday Night Live shouting slogans at us and pretending like that's how you decide medical questions. And coming up with euphemisms like gender-affirming care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back to the uh, the actual uh, words of the, the scientists. Uh, so, For children and adolescents, the debate is not whether such transformations are possible, but, quote, at what age can youth meaningfully consent, 
upon fulfilling which criteria, and perhaps most importantly, just because we can, should we? Such questions have provoked an intensity of divisiveness within and outside of medicine, rarely seen with other clinical uncertainties. This passion reflects decidedly different prioritization of scientific evidence, medical ethics, and social values. Again, I just I want to open my arms to the heavens and cry, thank you, thank you. Can we talk about this like adults? That sentence again. The divisiveness uh, inside and outside of mass, uh, medicine. This passion reflects decidedly different prioritizations of scientific evidence, medical ethics, and social values. Now, here are your 10 key unproven or disproven assumptions underlying the practice of youth transitions. The authors note that while a growing number of European countries recognize deficiencies in the evidence supporting the highly medicalized gender affirming, in quotes, uh, approach to treating gender dysphoric youth, in North America, the narrative that gender affirmative care has been scientifically proven has been remarkably resilient. I could decode that. As we've said before, uh, Europe has stomped on the brakes, put the car in reverse, and is going as fast as they can away from this stuff. But in North America, the narrative that the case has been scientifically proven has been remarkably resilient. <laughs> That's one way to say it. That's hilarious. In the face of the fact that it's bunk. The authors observed that the practice of, quote, gender affirmation of minors using hormones and surgery is based on 10 key fallacious assumptions that are misrepresented as proven facts. You hear these, folks? These are the opposite of facts. Number one, the emergence of trans identity is the result of reaching a higher level of self-awareness. And, you know, it's funny. The analysis is down below. I'd have to flip back and forth. Um, but they recount all of the evidence that identity formation in adolescence is far from complete and that trans identity for many will prove to be temporary. I have raised three kids. The search for identity is a wild ride with teenagers. The idea that, oh, oh, she's a goth. She has emerged as a goth with lots of black eye makeup, black fingernails, wearing black, and listening to depressing music. Let's give her hormones and surgery to make sure she's always goth. Any parent who proposed that would be looked at as a lunatic. Right. Anyway, I'll get back to the list. So number one is the emergence of trans identity is the result of reaching a higher level of self-awareness. That's not true. Two, whether the trans identity emerges in very young children, older children, teens, or mature adults, it is authentic and will be lifelong. It's absolutely a myth. Three, all gender identity variations are biologically determined and inherently healthy. Four, the frequently co-occurring psychiatric symptoms are a direct result of the gender incongruence, what progressives call the minority stress model, meaning... If somebody's depressed, anxious, has a bipolar disorder, whatever, and they have some sort of gender issue, the gender issue caused all those other things, and therefore the cure is the gender thing. It's frequently assumed, which is a bizarre and unsupportable, scientifically, assumption. Five, the only way to relieve or prevent psychiatric problems is to alter the body at the earliest signs of pu puberty. Oof. Six, psychological evaluations and evaluations and attempts to address psychiatric comorbidities should only be used to support transition. We've heard this argument that if a caring counselor 
says, all right, let's talk through all your problems because I'm not convinced changing your sex is what's going to help you. That person is uh, called a transphobe and a hater and a hundred other different things for merely trying to help the child. Uh, seven of the ten. Attempts to resolve gender dysphoria from psycho with psychotherapy range from ineffective to harmful. Eight, gender dysphoric youth must have unquestioned social, hormonal, and surgical support for their current gender identities and desired physical appearance. Nine, all individual embodiment goals, even those that do not occur in nature, must be fulfilled to the full extent technically possible. That's the because we can, we should. Mm -hmm. And finally, 10, science has proven the benefits of early gender transition and low rates of regret and detransition further validate the practice. Utterly unsupportable by the data. Wow. You know, I assumed all that. Yeah. People were scared, and I understand why. The The crowd that would come after you, especially, I feel like it's less now than it was a year ago, don't you? Yeah, 100%. But a year ago, if you if you question any of this stuff, you're, you're really walking on thin ice with your company or your job or uh, your reputation or whatever, your social media account, because they're going to come hard and everybody else was so scared. Nobody was going to stand up and say, hey, I think they've got a point. Um, so everybody just kept their mouths shut on the is there. I mean, this hasn't been around long enough to have data. Is there to show that most kids look like adults look back on their gender affirming care and think that was a good idea? There's no way you could have data on that. It hasn't been around long enough, but everybody ignored that. Well, and there's a key principle in science that self-reporting is useless data, uh, especially if somebody has made a huge decision, which they campaigned for for a very long time, caused a great deal of pain, family drama, the rest of it, et cetera, et cetera. You can picture it. Then to say, you know what? I was wrong about that. Sorry. That's a very difficult thing for human beings to do. Yeah, but even with that, there's a fair amount of it happening. Yes. Yeah, indeed. So let me just hit you with the the quick summary, um, because I want to make sure it's clear, because I think this is so important. The authors refute these assumptions, meaning the 10, focusing on the three most critical fallacies. They recount the evidence that identity formation in adolescence is far from complete, and a trans identity for many will prove to be temporary. They note that the rationale for gender-affirming interventions has shifted from reducing extreme suffering to merely fulfilling individual embodiment goals, which undermines the original premise of administering drastic, irreversible interventions off-label to young people whose identities are far from fully formed. Finally, the authors note that the claim that gender transition is a proven net beneficial practice is demonstrably false. The claims by gender medicine clinicians that these interventions are proven collapse when scrutinized through the lens of systematic reviews, which are a fundamental requirement of evidence-based narratives, or evidence-based medicine, I should say. I was reading ahead. Unlike narrative reviews, which the field has come to rely on and which cherry-pick favorite studies and merely restate those studies' biased conclusions, systematic reviews require the analysis of all the available evidence subjecting each study to critical appraisal, etc., etc., uh, we'll, you know, you might get paywalled on this. I actually had to subscribe to something to get it. Um, we'll get the key conclusions for you posted at armstrongandgetty.com. We're shorthanded right now, so uh, give us till the end of the day. But uh, be sure to check. Get this. Realize it. Understand it. 
The reason I'm so vehement about this, again, having raised three kids and seen their ups and downs and searches for identity and, you know, going through adolescence myself is uh, for ideological reasons and really fringe ideological reasons, you have people who might honestly think they're doing right. A lot of people are making a ton of money on this stuff, but they are taking the temporary hormonal struggles of adolescence and changing these people physically and psychologically for the rest of their lives to achieve their own ideological goals. It's monstrous. Uh, Hour three, which is the next hour, we're going to talk to Mike Lyons about the uh, tanks and everything showing up in Ukraine, what that means for perhaps a counteroffensive. Also, have... Some more data on the realities of switching to electric cars that are the best I've ever seen. And a whole bunch of others. Oh, Tucker got fired for dropping a C-bomb on a female executive. That's what did him in. You talk about a straw that's going to break a camel's back. A C-bomb is a straw. There's no coming back from the C-bomb. <laughs> There's no, uh, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. <laughs> well, he, nope. did, he did the opposite. He said, and I mean it. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't heard that story, it's all on the way. forth in my own mind on how big a deal it is that Tucker Carlson got fired from Fox. Is it a big deal or not? He was the number one show in all of cable news. On the other hand, cable news is a tiny, tiny, tiny part of uh, the conversation that regular people pay attention to. Um, uh, 340 million people in this country, and he had 2 million people watching every night. On the other hand... He put out a question to all the Republican candidates, where do you stand in the Ukraine war? And they all felt like they had to answer it right away. Yeah, I think when analyzing the significance of people like Tucker, you got to uh, take away the children from the population. Obviously. Well, yeah, I'm I'm going somewhere with this. Um, You got to take away the children. You got to take away (laughs) non-voters. If you're you're a six-year-old, Tucker's almost on. You're parenting wrong. You're a weird little kid. Go to the park. But you've got to look at the uh, the population of intensely involved activist voters who have outsized influence. But anyway, I, I, under, I go back and forth, too. I know what you mean. So he, he gets fired out of nowhere. He obviously didn't see it coming because he said, see you on Monday, on Friday. And then on Monday, it was announced he was gone. And nobody well, he heard said, see you next Tuesday earlier. Oh, uh, yeah. Huh? We'll explain oh, why he got fired in just a second, according to the Wall Street Journal. But um, he, he, he disappears, and there's all these rumors and thoughts and what happened and everything like that. And then all of a sudden, he posts a video on his Twitter feed yesterday. And this, and, 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 and this is how it started. We won't play the whole thing. Good evening. It's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's got to be the majority of the population, even now. So, so, then, he, then, so then he goes on for a couple of minutes about the media landscape and, and, and the truth and not the truth and stuff like this. I thought this was pretty funny, this 81, just this particular part of it. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how 
unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. And They're so, completely irrelevant. He, they mean nothing. In well, five years, we won't even remember that we had them. That seems like a long 13 seconds. Um, uh, the one thing he doesn't do is he doesn't he doesn't reference his show. He doesn't reference Fox. He doesn't reference being fired at all. That's what I was waiting to hear, and he doesn't mention that at all. He talks about the horrible media landscape we live in and then says something like more to come at the end or something, which means he's about to launch some sort of media venture, don't you assume? Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. Yep. So uh, the Wall Street Journalist story that broke yesterday on his leaving, which is pretty interesting, you have to understand that the Wall Street Journal is a Rupert Murdoch publication, and I got to believe Rupert Murdoch or somebody close to him may have fed the Wall Street Journal the inside story on this, is that Tucker Carlson referred to one of the female executives, like kind of his boss, those are weird terms when you get into, you know, sports or media personalities or whatever, but anyway, a high up at Fox, he referred to as a the C word. A stupid or uh, ridiculous or something C-word. So when the trial was getting ready to start last week, Fox was fighting like crazy to get a whole bunch of stuff stricken from the record. It couldn't show up in the trial. All those statements from Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson bad-mouthing Trump, they wanted that taken out. They wanted taken out the fact that Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson called an executive the C-word. Tucker fought to keep that in no 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 i want that in because she is a stupid c word and apparently that was an indication and i'm sure it's not a one thing it's a straw that broke the camel's back situation but i think that was an indication that he really thinks he runs this place and can do absolutely whatever he wants and anybody who feels that way could be trouble in the future well, and even if he'd called her a dumb dumb, and the lawyers and Murdochs said, we need this stricken from the record, and Tucker said, no, you don't, you're leaving it in. No, no. The Indian just walked up to the chief and told him, I'm running this place. It doesn't matter. The C word, it couldn't have helped. But I think... <laughs> you tried it, at home. See if it helps in your situation. No, but it's it's uh, I almost said private. That's not true. It's more like a uh, a major who thinks he's a general, and the Murdochs don't they don't put up with that. Well, and also the future liability. Like I said, it's an indication that you there's more trouble coming down the pipe. If you miss an hour of this show, grab the podcast Armstrong and Getty on demand. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.